Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to our uh, study in the book of Romans. Tonight, we make our way to chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 16 through 19. And the title of our lesson is Guaranteed. Now, tonight, we're going to dig down deep into the very nature of faith. And we're going to ask and try to answer a few questions like, why is faith so important? How do we get it? Um, Is it possible to lose it after you have it? And of course, what does it have to do with a guarantee? Now, if you've been with us in this study, you know that we've been talking about faith uh, for several weeks now. Back in chapter 3, we found out that the way that we get the righteousness of God that we need is only through faith in in Jesus Christ. And in Romans 4, Paul doubled down on that, if you will, and he said that this faith must exist completely apart from works. And then, of course, last week in, in, in verses 13 to 15, we found out that it's through faith that we become an heir of the world. Now, that's an awesome promise, right? But let's be really honest. Sometimes when we hear something like that, our response might be something like that. Like, um, are you talking about me? I mean, after all, I'm a, I'm a nobody, right? I'm not famous. I'm not rich. I'm not powerful. Nobody really knows uh, who I am. We're just, we're just normal people living normal lives. And maybe it's hard to really believe that someday we'll become an heir of the, of the world. Now, I think Paul understands that, that, uh, that feeling, if you will. And I think he's got something to say in verses 16 through 19. And I think his whole intent is to increase our confidence that we will be an heir of the world, that we will inherit salvation. So let's start uh, at the beginning. Verse 16. Paul says, For this reason it is by faith. Now, the it he's talking about, of course, is the promise to be an heir of the world that we saw in verses 13 through 15. So he's saying, For this reason... This promise has to come by faith. And he's going to give us the reason uh, why faith is the only way to inherit the promise. And it's really going to be two reasons. Here's the first reason. He says that it may be in accordance with grace. The reason it's by faith is that it is in accordance with grace. Now that word accordance means to agree with or harmonize with. The idea is two things that fit perfectly together. They're in perfect harmony with one another. Now, this kind of leads us to one of our first questions about faith. Why does faith agree with grace? Why do they fit so well together? Why are they in in, in accordance or in perfect harmony with one another? Well, the reason for that is because faith totally renounces works, and grace can only operate Uh, where works are totally renounced. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a wealthy man and he sees a homeless guy. And he walks up to that homeless guy and he says, here's a a $100,000 cash, no strings attached. It's just a gift. Now that would be grace. But let's say the homeless guy says, no, 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 I can't can't agree on that. I've got to somehow or another, I've got to work for it. So let me me work for five years to, to offset that. Now, if the wealthy man accepts those terms, the gift is no longer a gift. Grace is no longer grace. Now, 
there's an agreement between the two, but it's different. It's a conditional agreement. The, the poor man can always claim that he earned it, but it's no longer a gift. You see, faith confesses that it is a spiritual beggar. Faith confesses that it brings absolutely nothing to the table, and it allows grace to provide full payment of the debt. Now, with that said, I want to ask another question about faith. Is faith a work? Now, let me let me go a little deeper into this. Let's go back to Romans 4, 4 through 5, and let's look at what Paul says. Paul says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Kind of like what we were just talking about with that example. But he says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, here's the way Paul sees things. All people in the world are divided into two groups, those who work and those who do not work. Those who work are people who are trying to earn salvation. They're trying to be a good person. They're, they're trying to be sincere. They're trying to be the best person they can, can be. And they hope that one day God will judge them in a balance and, and he'll say, yeah, you, you deserve to get into heaven. Those are the people that are working. On the other hand, is people who do not work. These are the people who realize, no matter what I do, it's not good enough. And they just fall on the mercy of God. Now, let me tell you, you do not want to be in the works group. That's the group you do not want to fall in. You want to be in the group that does not work. So we need to be sure that we're not working for our salvation. So that lends a question. Well, what is a work in that context? What does that mean? Well, here's my definition. A work is anything that we do within ourselves apart from the enabling power of God. Let me say that again. A work is anything that we do in and of ourselves apart from the enabling power or grace of, of God. Now, by the way, I don't, I'm not just making that up. I actually get that from 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he goes on, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm working. I'm working hard. In fact, I worked harder than any of those other people. But he said, it's not me working. It's the power of God within me. See, that's okay. That's a good work. That means there's another type of work that's not the good work. And this is a work that's not being enabled by the power of God, but it's coming from within ourselves. Those are, that's not a good work. Now, here's the question. Is faith a work? In other words, is faith something that we do or that we have apart from the enabling power of God? Now, the simple answer to this is no. Of course not. In fact, Paul's already answered that. I don't know if you noticed that in verses 4 and 5. Watch what he says. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due. And to the one who does not work, but believes. The one who does not work, but believes. So Paul says faith or belief is not a work. So he's answered that question right there uh, for us. So faith cannot be a work. Therefore, by definition, it cannot be something that you do or you have on your own. It cannot be something apart from the enabling power of God. By the way, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. A gift would no longer be a gift. So let's dig a little bit deeper 
into faith. Let's ask this question. Why is it so important that faith be in agreement with grace? Why is that so important? Well, Paul provides the answer in verse 16. Let's read the whole thing. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. There's that word, guaranteed. Now listen, you see where Paul's going? He wants all of us diaper-changing, trash-taking-out, bill-paying, imperfect, sinning, believing, justified people that nobody knows who we are. He wants us to be absolutely certain, absolutely 100% certain of this one thing. We will be an heir of the world, and it is absolutely guaranteed. Now, here's the thing. I understand that guarantee is a strong word. In fact, as a a human being, when we try to communicate our intent to someone, there's two words that we always use. That's guarantee and promise. I, I guarantee I'll be there. I promise I'll pay you back, right? Those are the words that we use. But the fact is, our intentions may be good, but we can't guarantee anything. I can't guarantee that I'll make it to the end of this lesson. I I hope I will. I, I think I will. I believe I will. I probably will. But I can't guarantee it because I have no control over that. But you see, God is not a man. In fact, when God says something, he does it. When he speaks, he brings it to pass. When he says it's a guarantee, you can take it to the bank. It is absolutely going to happen. Now, here's the thing about God. God doesn't just say that your salvation is guaranteed, that the promise is guaranteed. He actually gives us a down payment. He gives us a a promissory note or or a promise ring, if you will. He gives us something that says this is a down payment to, to just show you uh, that I'm going to bring this to pass. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says this, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You see, you cannot be a Christian without having the Spirit of God. The Bible says if you don't, if you've got the, if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't belong to Christ. When we become a believer, the Spirit dwells within us, and He is a guarantee of our coming salvation. So what in the end, and this is the question we're getting to, what is it that really guarantees our salvation? Is it my faith, or is it God's grace? Well, let me tell you, the answer is absolutely God's grace. Now, my faith is important. In fact, my faith is essential because it's the only condition of the heart that accords or fits perfectly with grace. But it's God's grace that is the foundation of our guarantee. Now, saying that, I want to dig just a little bit deeper, add another question about faith. Where does faith come from? You see, the fact is, each one of us at some point in our life were unbelievers. We didn't have any faith. And then one day, we do. Where did it come from? Did you do some kind of scientific study about God and just decide one day, wow, this, the evidence is overwhelming, I'm going to choose God? Did you? What happened? Why did you go from an unbeliever to a believer? Where did faith come from? Well, let's go back to that idea of unbelievers. The Bible tells us that at some point in our life, we were blind. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So I'm walking around and my mind is blind. I, 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 I go, maybe I go to church, I hear the gospel, I hear people talk about Jesus, but it, it means absolutely nothing to me. I'm not interested. I've got a life to live. I've got places to go, people to see, things to do. I really could care less about this Jesus guy, right? I'm blind. Now, what I want you to see is it's not a physical thing. Our eyes still work. I can still see. I, I'm, I see the words written on the pages of the Bible. I can still hear. I can hear the, the gospel coming from the preacher. I can hear what my parents are, are telling me. My emotions work. My conscience work. Everything works. It turns out that the reason we're blind is because there's an absence of light. Let's read that verse in its entirety, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Uh, this slide here shows a picture of a room. Now, it might look black to you, right? But it's a room. And in that room, there's walls and there's floors and there's chairs and there's, uh, there's books on the bookshelf and, and um, pictures on the walls and there's a sofa and, and there's a little kid playing in there. But you can't see it. It's all there, but you just can't see it. Now, my eyes work. The problem is, is there's, no, there's no light. You see, that's exactly the way it was for us. We, Jesus was right there in front of us. And at some point, light came on, and we could really see for the first time Jesus for who he was, how beautiful he was, how valuable he was. So what changed? Where did the light come from? Well, we don't have to guess about that. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For the same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. By the way, he's referring back to Genesis where God said, let there be light. The same God. Who, who created this world and said, let there be light, that same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our room. You see, in the same way, we've got this dark room and somebody turns on a light and we can see. You see, in the same way, grace comes and we have faith. We weren't able to believe before. We weren't able to see before. But God shines the light in our heart so that we can see Jesus for who he really is. He does that. And when his grace does that, faith is immediately born. You see, the same thing God did for Lydia, he did for you and I. In Acts 16, 14, Paul says, a certain woman named, or, or Luke said, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, and the Lord opened her heart. That's the same thing. He, he did something inside of her so that she could, for the first time, really hear the things being spoken by Paul. You see, what I'm trying to tell you here tonight is you cannot have saving faith <clears throat> apart from the enabling grace of God. It's God that instant, or initiates that in our life. Now, if that's true, and, 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 and that is what Paul is saying here, then we would probably expect him in, in the next verses to kind of back that up or go a little further to prove his case. And by the way, that's exactly what he does. Look at verses 17 through 19. In verse 17, he says this, As it is written, so he's backing up what he just said, 
I have made you the father of many nations. He's, he's quoting God's promise to Abraham. And then he says this, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, what I want you to notice there is Paul is calling attention to the sovereign activity of God. God changes dead to life. God calls into existence things that don't exist. Now, why would he do that? Well, his point is this. In order for Abraham to receive the promise, and, and by the way, in order for you and I to see the promise, the dead has to come to life, and things that don't exist have to come into existence. That is exactly what God's grace does. You see, mankind, we can't do that. We, we can't raise the dead. We can't, we can't take something that doesn't exist and bring it into existence out of nothing, but God can, and God does. You see, God brings spiritual life where there's only spiritual deadness. He creates faith where right before there was none. And he does these things in order to guarantee the promises for his people. You see, that's the meaning of grace. Let's read verses 18 through 19. Paul continues, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. We've talked about this many times in our study. God tells Abraham, go outside your tent, look up in the sky, and if, he says, if you can number the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Go, go, go to the beach and look at the sand. If you can number the, the sand, that's how many descendants you're going to have. But Abraham at the time has no children, none. And by the way, he's 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old, and she's been barren her entire life. And now, Paul says her womb is dead. She's beyond the age of having children. It's over. It's done. And God says you're going to have this many descendants. Now, Abraham and Sarah tried to work around the issue. Remember, she gave him her, her handmaiden uh, or her servant, Hagar. And she went into Abraham and Abraham, and they had a son named Ishmael. And they think, okay, maybe this is the way God will do it. And God said, no, no. The, the promise that I've given you, I'll make it happen. I'll bring the dead to life. I'll call into existence things that don't exist. I'm not going to go through your wisdom and your resources. I'll do the humanly impossible. You see, if the promise to Abraham is to be guaranteed... God has to do the impossible. He has to do what human beings cannot do. He has to bring uh, the dead to life and calling the being that which does not exist. And by the way, the exact same thing is true for you and I. I was spiritually dead. And if the promise for me to be an heir of the world is to come true, God has to do it, not me. I can't do it. He has to call what is dead to life. And, and see... This is exactly what the Bible teaches. The supernatural birth of Isaac is a picture of how God creates children of promise like you and I. Galatians 4.28, Paul says, You brethren like Isaac are children of promise. You see, Isaac was born by a miracle of the Spirit. You and I are born by a miracle of the Spirit. John 1.12-13 said this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but are born of God. You see, Isaac was brought forth out of a dead womb. We are brought forth from deadness. His faith, Abraham's faith, was called into being out of nothing. Your faith is called into being out of nothing. See, that's the meaning of grace. And that is why grace guarantees the promise. Because it does what human resources can never do. Let me tell you, I don't know how Paul can say it any better than Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, one question I want to cover before I close about faith, and that is this. Can you lose it? Can you lose this saving faith? Absolutely not. The answer to that is an emphatic no. Faith was never initiated on my part. Jesus said it right there in John 1. I was born again, not of the will of man, not of my own reasoning, not of my own wisdom or my own resources. I was born again of God himself. Can I just choose to, to go back and not be born again? That, that makes no sense. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 told us that God shone a light in my heart so that I could see Jesus for who he really was. Do I just turn out the light and go back into darkness? We are adopted into his family according to Romans eight fifteen. We are now his children. Do I, do I choose to, to somehow just abdicate that and go back to no longer being his child and being his enemy? I was spiritually dead. And God loved me so much that he gave me spiritual life. We saw that in Ephesians 2. Can I choose to go back to being dead again? Or how about this one? God sealed me with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of my inheritance. That's Ephesians 1. Was that a joke? Is his guarantee not really a guarantee? When, when, is he like a man that lies? Is he like a man that can't control anything? No. No. Listen, if, if I'm a believer and I can choose no longer to believe, then God could never guarantee my inheritance. No way. And by the way, he would be a liar if he said he could. The only way he can guarantee it is that if he not only initiates my faith, he sustains my faith to the very end. You see, we, from the moment we receive Christ, are, are, we've entered into a permanent relationship with him with the promise of eternal life. At that moment, we cross from death into life. And that relationship does not hinge on my personal holiness. It, it doesn't hinge on any um, great sacrifices I might make. It doesn't hinge on my good works. It doesn't hinge on me performing religious duties. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 said it that, By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, that is why it's guaranteed. And I'll close with this, because if you can't believe me, then at least believe Jesus himself. John 6, 37-40. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He said this, And this is the will of him who sent me. You want to know what God's will is? This is it. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this these uh, wonderful verses. Just what an incredible promise, not only that we'll be the heir of the world, but the very fact that you as the universal God, you guarantee that promise. You are going to make sure it happens. It doesn't depend on piddly old me. It depends on you. Thank you, God. What a wonderful, wonderful guarantee that we have. Father, help us to walk in that. Help us not to every day that we get up to quote that scripture to ourselves that the promise is guaranteed because of grace. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. God, help us carry that message to a lost and dying world around us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 